0: Welcome to Sidetracked. I'm your host, Dennis Kaminsky. Before we get too deep into the show, I'd like to start off by saying I wish everybody a happy new year. I know it's a little bit late. I hope your 2021 is better than your 2020 was. Unless you had a really good 2020, in which case I hope 2021 knocks you on your ass a little bit because we don't want you getting cocky. Life's a bitch and you need to learn that. All right, we closed out the year last year with a conversation with my buddy Dominic Sclafani. I enjoyed that conversation so much, I wanted to have him back on again, and we were kind of tossing around some ideas as to what to do. We spend a lot of time talking about films that we really like, and a few months ago, he sent me a message and asked me my favorite films of the 21st century. So I figured in honor of the 21st year of the 21st century, having just been launched, that's a weird way to say it's a new year, but... We're going to have that conversation for you guys here today, so I hope you guys enjoy. This is Dominic Sclafani and myself having a conversation about our favorite films of the 21st century. <whistles> Mr. Sclafani, thank you for being here. Thank you for having me. They made it seem like it was a detention session or something like yeah.
1: that. Yeah, I wasn't ready for that. Yeah. last name like that.
0: Fucked up the vibe of the conversation already. (laughs) It's all right. Intimidates you. I'm
1: excited to get to our list here.
0: Yeah, me too. I'm excited about the subject. I love film so much, and I like any excuse I get to talk about it. You got anything specifically you want to start with? Is there a specific film that when you look at the 21st century, so from 2000 on, that stands out to you the most? What's the shining star in the galaxy that was this century? I
1: think the biggest... Movie event of my lifetime in the 20th century was probably Return of the King, when that happened because it was the culmination of the Lord of the Rings, and I was so excited for that it was the only Lord of the Rings I got to see in the theaters because I jumped in that one late. Was it 2003, right? Yeah, Return of the King, and I, did, Two Towers like was already out on DVD when I jumped in because I saw scenes of it in a truck stop of the Wargs attacking the Rohan horse riders, and I was like, I gotta watch this. Why am I not watching this? And I jumped in, and it was just. The power in some of those scenes. Like Theoden's speech before the Battle of Pelennor Fields. Anytime I watch that movie, always gives me goosebumps. Just the, the heroism. I think that's what makes Lord of the Rings so great is the heroism. You just watch these people face certain death. And just without even like backing down, they go against it. And it always... It gives me goosebumps, like I said, it always gives me chills.
0: I think The Lord of the Rings is probably the closest to a perfect trilogy I've ever seen. Because very rarely do you get all three of them right. And there's honestly there's not a bad movie in the franchise. All three films are great as standalone films. It's also really interesting because I know somebody whose favorite is each of those movies. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. usually in franchises like Empire Strikes Back is by far the best yeah. film in Star Wars or you know, Maybe there's a little bit of talk about which is better, The Godfather 1 or 2, but then there's the, the real shitter in 3.
1: Yeah. <clears throat> or like The Dark Knight.
0: Yeah, you know what I mean? Batman Begins is a good movie, but nobody yeah. really holds it higher. With The Lord of the Rings trilogy, like those, they're all equally great, and it just really depends on what part of the story you prefer.
1: I actually think I like The Two Towers more as a movie because I just think it works as a movie better, and The Battle at the end I think I like uh, better. Yeah. But Return of the King I saw in the theater, so that one just The like, experience puts it yeah. over.
0: I'm at the other... Fellowship is my favorite just because when I was a kid, I remember like that I've never seen anything like that before in my life. And I was always interested in like some out-there I liked all the sci-fi stuff, but I didn't know I liked fantasy. Mm-hmm. And that was my introduction to the fantasy genre. Mm-hmm. So that film itself, it fucking blew my mind. And Gandalf made me cry at the end. And yeah. I introduced the characters...
1: It, did, it it introduced me to fantasy too because like i always liked fantasy but i never knew it cuz star wars is essentially a fantasy
0: yeah just in a sci-fi setting yeah. yeah so
1: that's like it worked for me cuz i was just a, sci- a star wars kid growing up so yeah when i saw lord of the rings for the first time it was like my and now that was fantasy is probably my favorite out of anything sci-fi horror like but there's just so few good fantasy movies i agree i understand and but
0: especially i was thinking about that for this uh for this list that was really peak fantasy. Oh, yeah. And that was at the very beginning. You know what I mean? Those yeah. 2001, 2002, I mean, 2003. Yeah.
1: They had some good stuff in the 80s around Conan the Barbarian. Oh, yeah. I agree. But That's probably that,
0: the golden age for fantasy is yeah. 80s films. Because there's a lot of really solid ones.
1: And there's a lot of cheesy
0: ones. Yeah, there's a lot of cheesy ones. Although, I, I love Legend. Legend's good. Because the makeup is incredible in that movie. The story just makes no sense. Yeah, it's a little weird. It's a little yeah. out there, but the makeup is it incredible is. in that movie. That's the I, scariest I, devil I've ever seen. I, my
1: teacher in high school. He had an action figure of that behind his desk. Oh, the devil? Yeah. That's awesome. So that's actually why I watched it, because I was like, what is that? And he's like, it's from yeah. Legend," And it's an early Tom Cruise movie. Yeah. Early Tom Ridley Cruise Scott, movie. who's one of my favorite directors.
0: But to uh, uh, to stick to the, the point on the 21st century, uh, what I thought was really interesting, when I look back at some of the, the stuff that was released since 2000, specifically in the fantasy genre, TV really took over the mantle at a certain point, which is really interesting, because I think the beauty of The Lord of the Rings is those stories, people have been wanting to tell for a very long time, but you probably couldn't make it the way that it needed to be made until the technology was where it was in 2000. And Peter Jackson was the guy. Yeah. And I mean, he, he basically owned an entire country to film on. Mm-hmm. So he had the space, the scenery, you know, everything was right. And it, it worked out exactly how it should have. And it almost seems like fantasy can only work in that really giant budget to that degree. But we've seen it work a little bit differently in television. And I think that that's really interesting because there's been a lot of really good fantasy shows in TV since The Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Some of them with much larger budgets than others, obviously. Game of Thrones essentially cost more than The was Lord the of the Rings trilogy. Yeah. yeah. And I mean, I looked it up. The last season was $15 million an episode.
1: So eight, ep- no, 10 episodes?
0: Uh, was it eight or 10 episodes, something ten like episodes. that? Yeah. So you're so talking about a, a 150 full $150 million,
1: million dollar budget a lot of movies made less than that.
0: Oh, absolutely. Well, uh Mad Max, I the budget estimated between 150 and 185. And that's a 2-hour film as opposed to 8 hours of television. Yeah. So those those people had some money to What's work the with. the
1: Mandalorian, I believe gets 10 million an episode.
0: That sounds about right. Yeah. Damn, that's crazy. Yeah. That's a film. Yeah. And it's interesting because because of the success of something like The Lord of the Rings, studios seem to get a lot more comfortable investing in some of these pre-existing intellectual properties with really deep stories. I mean, we saw, I mean, obviously the Marvel movies started to come out a little bit before uh, the Lord of the Rings did. I think X-Men was 2000. So it predated it a little bit, but not in the same way that they committed to the Lord of the Rings thing. Cause I think they realized that the fandom is equally as important. And that's something you see a lot in films over the last 20 years is they're very much catered to fans. Yeah. And, he, Peter Jackson was able to do it in the right way then. Like it didn't feel like excessive well, fan service. He was service. just so passionate about yeah. Lord of the Rings. I've
1: watched interviews with him just talking about the mythology and about Tolkien, and you can just see the love he has for that source material. And that's really what you need is somebody that loves the source material. And I think that's one of the biggest problems that lacks, for me, with modern Star Wars and with the Marvel movies, is you get people that are like kind of sort of fans, but I, don't yeah. get what the core message is about. And to me, it just doesn't work when you don't study what you're writing.
0: Unless it's like a really experimental situation yeah. where maybe you take like a director, but it doesn't work most of the time. I agree completely because The Dark Knight is an interesting one. He's clearly a huge Batman fan, Nolan.
1: Should I just segue into the I was next going film? to do the same thing. <laughs> uh,
0: this is my favorite film of the 21st century. Okay. With it's the on excep- my list. With the exception of The Truman Show, this is my favorite film of all time. In fairness, I was 13 when it came out fucking love superheroes and it legitimized the genre it was the first time that i didn't feel embarrassed to like sit down with my grandparents and watch a superhero movie
1: it was the first time a comic book movie was a film it, not it just felt like the exact
0: it felt like a lot more than just a comic book yeah. movie but as a batman fan man that's batman and joker yeah you know what i mean so and it that, doesn't lose any of the there's gordon feels like commissioner gordon like they don't get anything wrong either it just feels like the most grounded in reality version of this mm-hmm. that could have possibly have ever existed.
1: And that works for Batman so well. Absolutely. Because Batman is essentially, when you get too crazy with Batman he starts pulling too much stuff out of his utility belt, it starts to lose what Batman is. It's Again, it's not the I core understand. message yeah. of Batman. Here's just a man, his parents were murdered, he just wants to fight crime. That's who he is. You start giving him too much gadgets and too much fantastical elements, it does start taking away from him.
0: I agree completely. And in the film, they used the gadgets really well. I've always been a huge fan of the uh the Tumbler Batmobile that he used yeah. in the franchise. And it he used some new technology to get it out there. It's a really cool. I'll take the 89 uh, Batman Batmobile though. Visually it's the coolest it looking is. to me too. I agree I love completely. It. If I, I had could a have a toy of that one. If I could have one to drive around on the street like an asshole, yeah, I'd probably take that one. Although the Tumblr would be pretty fun too. You could probably get through traffic one's pretty not good. Bad. No, it's a good one. I think that's one of the few things that they yeah they I got like right Batman
1: Forever. I think that movie's underrated. Was that uh, that's Jim Carrey, right? Yeah, Jim Carrey and Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, Tommy Lee Jones. That's crazy to imagine. When I was a Tommy kid, Lee that Jones. was my favorite one. I can imagine. I used like, to have I was that on D H S. So it was perfect age for it. I agree completely.
0: The costumes are really bright in those movies. That yeah. helped me when I was a kid too. And Jim was, Carrey makes sense.
1: I was uh, Joker or I was Two Face when you're following. My sister was the Riddler from that movie. Oh, that's cool. They sold them at like Myers or whatever. Also, the Dark Knight. Getting back to that, the Joker in that movie is just so good, and I the Joker is my favorite villain. He probably beats Darth Vader even. Like I love the Joker. He's he, he's the embodiment. It's why I of don't chaos. like the Joker yeah. movie. It's just it doesn't work for me. Oh,
0: that's a controversial take. We can get into that yeah. maybe a little bit yeah. after, but
1: but that movie, the Joker is perfect. Absolutely. You know, the pencil yeah. when he makes the pencil disappear, the magic trick. I'm like, that's the Joker. That's that his I'm in a scene like that's him.
0: And and what I really like about it is it does a really good job of they create a sense of cynicism within the film where you feel like the worst thing is always going to start to happen because of the Joker. And that was always one of the things that I really appreciated about. I love the old sixties Batman TV show, how there would always be like the plot of the week that they had to like diffuse, you know what yeah. I mean? Like there's, this is our crazy plan. And if you don't diffuse the bomb in, you know, 40 seconds, then the city's going to blow. I like that kind of stuff. And it usually doesn't work in films cause it feels a little like gimmicky. And that's kind of what Nolan did at the end, is he created a version of that that works within film a lot better than on a TV show. And it felt like the worst thing was going to happen. Like That situation is so depressing, finding out like, we got a ship of people and a ship of prisoners, and they get to choose each other's fate. And it's the perfect ploy for humanity to prove the Joker's point. And I always thought that that was a really beautiful trap to set for people. And that's why it's such a nice moment when it doesn't happen the way that it seems like it could. Because that movie's yeah. pretty depressing up until oh, yeah. that point. I mean, that's not too long after spoilers if you haven't seen it, but they kill off a girlfriend and burn a dude's face and hat. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. everything's already descended into complete chaos at this point, which is the beauty of the character of the Joker, man. That's He just represents, he comes in, he fucks everything up, and he slips out in the background, and he gets away, mm-hmm. and he comes back, and he's... He's almost right about the things he's talking about, but he's a little too cynical.
1: Did you know in the original comics the Joker was like Kenny? He kept dying and oh, he just really? kept coming back? That's weird. Like Batman kept killing him. <laughs> and then he just kept coming back. You killed the Joker, you bastard. Yeah. So that's, i I've always wondered if they like took that from the Joker. Or not, I mean, but. he takes that he
0: biggest ass kicking out of any villain and anything. He yeah. always gets the shit well, kicked out strong.
1: of him. He's not strong. Really he's like not really like a super villain. No, he's except just his mind. A crazy dude. Yeah. yeah, and he's like
0: he's crazy smart, but more crazy than smart. Yeah, he's out there.
1: Sometimes he says things though, and you're like, man, why is he making so much sense? I know, and that's why I said like he almost Heath like breaks the fourth wall. That's what it feels yeah. like.
0: And all of the performances are great in that film. Heath Ledger went out on the biggest thing you could have done. Like, that's an iconic performance. People still quote it to the day. And there's not a lot of those, actually, when I was going through and looking films since 2000. There are a few, like, pretty iconic characters, but I think genuinely the Joker may be, like, the most iconic character since 2000. The Heath Ledger Joker specifically. Although the Joaquin Phoenix ones had quite an impact in pop culture as well, you know what I mean? Which is really fascinating to me. There have been three Jokers since 2000, and all three of those actors have an Academy Award. Not one, all for the Joker. I was gonna say one of them was terrible, was the but Joker. he also
1: has an Oscar. That performance made me cringe.
0: The, oh yeah, the David Ayer one, the, Jer- won the yeah. Suicide Squad. When
1: he was like, I don't even, I don't even want to talk about it. There Anyways. was that
0: shot, and I remember seeing it in the movie. The only thing I'll say about Suicide Squad, where they're like panning out on his like decorative knives, where he's got them laid out yeah, in like, like a, 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 a yeah, a swirl. And I remember thinking in that moment, like, wow. He watched The Dark Knight, and he was like, I know how to make the Joker even cooler.
1: That's what I felt. It was like trying to be too hard to be like a cool. Like... Yeah, it, it didn't work. No. it's an inter- It was a funny movie, though. I would rather watch Suicide Squad than The New Wonder Woman.
0: If that's... I have not seen The New Wonder Woman, so I can't I'm just speak.
1: just telling you that's, uh, that's how good it is.
0: I've heard a lot of negative things about it, yeah. so that, that doesn't surprise one, me entirely. I want but... to
1: say one more thing about The Dark Knight. That's also my favorite Batman, uh, Christian Bale. Because to me, he nails both parts of it. Because Batman, you're almost playing two characters. You're playing Bruce Wayne and you're playing Batman. And he nails both of them, I think, perfectly.
0: I think that's one of the reasons I've always really liked Batman Begins for that reason especially. You get the most Bruce Wayne in that movie. Because by the end of Dark Knight Rises, he's only Batman. Bruce Wayne almost doesn't even exist anymore. And I think that that's also a really interesting character progression because the Dark Knight, you start to see him—he's like, a little bit more Batman than Bruce Wayne in that movie. It's—it's it's leaning. It's like towards taking it. over his life. That's the—that yeah. was the guy who put him over. Was the Joker at that point? Like that was when he had to question probably yeah. his morals and whether or not this is the time to actually kill somebody. Because if you were ever going to kill anybody, it would be that guy. Yeah. How much destruction he costs.
1: Bane's pretty, I'd probably kill him if he broke right, Well, they bag. brought,
0: especially the way they
1: brought in Bane, he's yeah. a terrorist.
0: Yeah. Blowing up an entire city.
1: He almost killed Heinz Ward, man. He did. That was my, that's my fantasy football team as the Gotham Rogues from that Oh, movie. there you go.
0: It's also how they introduced Cyborg in the next one. Oh, Fucking yeah. Fucking
1: Gotham football game. That never happened, though, because they got cut. We'll yeah, see I, know. I guess maybe, I forgot about that completely,
0: up. but it's crazy because with the dark Knight, uh, one of the things that I wanted to touch on a little bit, which I think might tie into one or two of them that you wanted to talk about was films got really dark in tone after the dark Knight. There was a good yeah. five or six year period where every single major, major picture, they wanted to put a little bit of a darker spin on. And it's really interesting, some of them were huge failures, too. Like, I can't, off the top of my head, what were some of the dark, gritty reboots that they knocked out around then? Do you remember? Mm Because that's kind of one of the things that I thought was hurting the first Godzilla, which is the reason that I brought that up specifically, was it was literally too dark. Like, it was visually literally too dark for most of the movie.
1: Do you want to know a fun insider fact on movies like that like Pacific Rim and those that's when they're usually, too dark yeah, yeah
0: they're low budget exactly they're trying to hide a lot of yeah. shit but they also try to go darker in tone because of the they dark did. night at that yeah. point but uh, they, that one was a little too dark that, was, yeah, that so, hurt that one a little bit for me
1: well that's why when Godzilla King of the Monsters came out and it was a very bright movie and it actually like paid not only did it pay tribute to the Godzilla lore it added things to it which I thought was really interesting like you, you know the fact that Godzilla sleeps in Atlantis, I've never heard before, but that was just such a cool fact. And he's the reason it crashed beneath the waves. And, like, I, you know, that's never been in any of the Japanese movies, so I thought that was cool. And just to see King Jidora, who is, my, like, my absolute favorite. I have a King Jidora, like, playmat. He's, like, my favorite, like, character in all of Godzilla. So to see him just rise out of the ground, and especially in the big screen, because I saw that in IMAX. And he was just like a demon from hell. And it was just so cool to see g and Mothra and Rodan and all the original Godzilla monsters. And everybody complains about the human story. But I actually thought it was decent. It was like the, the care- Bobby Brown. Yeah, the, the dad, you know, was like a jerk most of his life. So that he was trying to reconcile with his family. I actually cared about them. So it was like. yeah.
0: I don't know. Yeah, I, I mean, I wasn't a huge fan of the... I liked it a lot better than the first one just because it's a lot more exciting. And the best part of the first one is definitely the last 20 minutes where he's running through all those weird Gareth Edwards mating monsters. Cause he has a thing about that. Yeah, he likes to make monsters mate. It's an int- I mean, hey, it worked for him. I mean, it got him to that point, I guess. That story, that hit,
1: got him a Star Wars gig. How? How are you the director of Monsters and Godzilla? Then you direct a Star Wars movie and there's no monster in the entire movie. Yeah, that's... That dis- he, that was one of my disappointments. I understand. In Rogue.
0: I was excited. I remember thinking when he got the gig, oh, he knows how to work with scope. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he can deal with like the scale of this situation. Like he can deal with the size, and he knows how to shoot really big things in the background. So I expected there to be a lot of ATATs and cool. St- and he had a lot of really cool war sequences in Rogue One. Rogue One's a good movie. I
1: like it. Tony Gilroy made most of that movie. Really? Yeah. He got that. brought in to remake. That's who's making the Cassian Andor show.
0: Ah. Well, I gave too much credit to Gareth Edwards. He, most right of his
1: movie got reshot. Ah, that's interesting. Never I hope that, I've always hoped that they would put the director's cut of that on Disney+. Plus. I don't see why they wouldn't.
0: you got to get the hashtag started. Yeah, Maybe you can get it going. Which I was going to say, uh, you mentioned with uh, The King of the Monsters, one of the movies that I didn't initially have on it, but I just thought of it when you mentioned that because it impacted me a lot. And The reason I was so excited for Cloverfield was because I was a really big Godzilla fan. And I always thought that was the first time that I saw what a Godzilla movie could really look like like that you know what I mean like obviously giant, without the found footage thing yeah. but the scale in that movie it was intense yeah. like you know what I mean like the first time he's on screen like they do a really good job of building the atmosphere and it feels like there's like a terrorist attack or something going on but obviously they only show him a little bit and <laughs> when they show him I think he loses his luster a little bit I think it's a cool monster design but but I remember when watching that movie, always thinking like, oh, they could make a really cool Godzilla movie now. Yeah. Because the old ones, you got the guy in the costume and, you know, they got the little sets and stuff, which has got a lot of charm, but that's probably not going to make a ton of money. And Godzilla 2000 is <laughs> wasn't ready yet, apparently, at no, that point.
1: That was a terrible movie. Is that the nine? 90- Are you talking about the original that- American one? Yeah, yeah. Matthew
0: Broderick. Oh, yeah. That one yeah. was 98. Was it 98? Yeah. I,
1: I think the Godzilla 2000 is a Japanese Godzilla film. So that's oh, is I was that the
0: confused. one where they kill off the American Godzilla? That's I Godzilla know that Final Wars. Final, okay, they do yeah. that in that one. Yeah, but that's like we're seeing
1: as a Godzilla fan, as somebody that's watched all the Japanese ones multiple times, there's some really stupid plots. There's some really oh, yeah. stupid. What's going on? They're fun movies. Yeah. It's monsters. So fighting. that's like, I don't yeah. know what you're expecting when you go in to watch a Godzilla. Yeah. Like, I'm not expecting an Academy Award winning script. They're
0: like, yeah, it wasn't quite Eternal Sunshine of the Yeah. Spies it's like, mind, I just but... want
1: to watch Godzilla smash yeah. somebody through buildings. No, that's why I said that's why I,
0: I like the second one a lot more because you get a lot more of Godzilla smashing people through buildings.
1: While we're on the subject of giant monsters, one of my also favorite movies I was obsessed with when it came out was King Kong in 2005. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Back to Peter Jackson. Yep. That's <laughs> one of my favorite directors. He's doing a Beatles documentary, which I'm very excited about. I actually about. just saw a trailer. Or yeah. was
0: it a trailer, an announcement thing, whatever it was I think it, it was something recently. like that. Yeah. It was a
1: trailer, I think. But when that came out, I was obsessed with it. It was I love Giant Monsters. That's just always one of my favorite movies. And King Kong is a legend. So to watch Peter Jackson just go to town on it, the special effects, the story was so good. <clears throat> there was a video game out that was around that time I was I obsessed game, with. Yeah. Yeah, it was so good. I don't know. I just, I've just i always loved that movie. and it's The ending always hits me. I have to try, like, don't you cry, don't you do it. Because you grow such attached to Godzilla yeah. King Kong. I mean, I got King Kong. You get <clears to yourself. throat> you're get yourself, you getting excited for the yeah. next one. I hope so. I can't wait for that movie. But uh, also another monkey movie, if you want to say, on my list. That's would be, a good one. That's a nice little transition uh, right there. Rise of the Planet of the Apes. Or yes. Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. Yep, I'm sorry. Dawn, that's a
0: fantastic movie.
1: That is, to me, one of the greatest sequels ever made. I agree. Andy Serkis created one of the best cinematic characters of the 20th, 20 is the 21st or 21st twenty first century. Yeah. With Caesar. Oh, like he becomes yeah. a mythological character at the end, almost.
0: And he, it feels justified. Cause sometimes in movies, like they'll treat a character like a legend, but you haven't seen them accomplish things that really give them that mantle. And I feel like Caesar earns it. Yeah. You know oh, what I yeah. mean? He feels like that character. He led the apes yeah.
1: to freedom. He was the leader. And, that's why Dawn of the Plan of the Apes is so good cuz you see the society he built and you know with Maurice teaching the apes morals oh, yeah. and all that and it feels like Shakespeare with apes. It really is. It's Especially a beautiful story. Especially when Koba yeah. comes in and he's know. just trying to seize it's power. It's a tragic story too. It's beautiful. Yeah. And I remember watching that and just being like, man, I've never had a sci-fi movie just hit me emotionally like this. That's... You didn't want either side to fight. Because you're like, yeah. oh my,
0: why are you guys exactly. doing this? This doesn't need to be this way. And I agree, it's a lot better than it should have been. Because I remember when I saw the first one, would have been Rise, right? Rise of the Planet yeah. of the Apes with James Franco, and that's a, it's a really good movie. Actually, it is. I like, like I, that. I, one. I was a lot more impressed with it than I thought I was going to be. Because at the time, that's when they were, that's when it felt like the remakes were really starting to hit a little excessively. Like now they're remaking everything. And at the time, that's when it was really rolling out. And it felt like there's like 15 a year now and rather than like two or three. And that was one of them that I just really didn't have any interest in. And I like the Planet of the Apes movies, but I really only really like the first Planet of the Apes movie, the original. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not a big fan of the... Sequels after they're all right, but I guess if you're really into the the backstory,
1: they're enjoyable if you really want to watch Planet the Apes. But I otherwise, saw they're not
0: very James good. Franco and a CGI yeah. monkey, and I was like, I like James Franco, and CGI monkeys can be cool, but we'll see. And then uh, I went and saw something in theaters, and I don't remember what movie it was, but I believe it was, I don't know, if, like Thor Dark World or something like that. And I didn't really enjoy it. And I came home, and that was on Stars, and it was like three o'clock in the morning. And I didn't go to bed. I finished it until like five because I was way more invested in it than I thought I was going to be. So I was ecstatic for Dawn and it it blew my expectations out of it. Like yeah. it was such a better film than it should have been. The story mm-hmm. has way more weight to it than it feels like a movie like that should because it's a blockbuster. Like it, it's a blockbuster mm-hmm. at heart. There's a big action. Well, when piece I said sci-fi, end, that's what I meant to say. Like a yeah, blockbuster exactly. sci-fi. And I mean, yeah. Even the way that like I'm a really big fan of the shot on the uh like the crane shot on the the tank at the end when the the apes are taking over the city and they they're mm-hmm. on, first of all apes riding horses with machine guns is the most badass thing I've ever seen.
1: Yeah, the opening shot with Caesar and his son where he's teaching him how to hunt the deer. Oh yeah, I love that's just to me one of the best openings and
0: like that is what CGI can be. Yeah, like That is a fantastic example of why they should continue to push the technology because sometimes it feels like it's regressing and it's really depressing because it feels like it shouldn't be like that. But when you
1: see a film like that, you go
0: like, oh, no, let's, let's keep this ball rolling because yeah. this can be something special because Caesar's real, man. Like, he is. He's like, a you, real thing never, to
1: me. You never doubt that he's not a real character. He hits you emotionally every time
0: be nice if they could give a, an Oscar nomination to a motion capture performance. That'd be interesting.
1: Yeah, don't you have to show your face? Isn't that the rule? I
0: believe it's something. You have to physically... But that's the thing I understand with voice acting. Because I think voice acting deserves some... It should get some sort of accreditation, too, because it's a very underappreciated art form. But there's so much physical acting with the motion capture work that I don't understand how it doesn't... I mean, I understand that they can emote for you. And I mean, with the computers, you can make the face, you know, I guess, show the emotion better than any person probably ever could. But like his body language. And have you ever seen like uh, behind the scenes footage of mm-hmm. Andy Circus filming that? Yeah. Dude, he puts everything into it. Like it's that's He's an acting, acting performance. Yeah. He deserves some kind of I don't know, give him a fucking honorable mention or something.
1: Yeah, I agree.
0: Like, hey, he doesn't he doesn't show his face, so we can't give him a nomination, but here's an honorable mention to a guy. I mean,
1: who, to look at uh, Smeagol or Gollum from he's Lord of the He's incredible in that, too, yeah, I mean, exactly. brought that character. Yeah, like, that's why I was that so was excited one of the big player. reasons oh, it couldn't be filmed for a long time was people thought you couldn't do Gollum right. You couldn't yeah. bring Smeagol to life right.
0: Which I am excited to see what this video game looks like. I haven't seen a trailer for that yet, but there is a Gollum game coming out.
1: Oh, it's like a stealth game? Yeah, it yeah, looks interesting. I'm, I'm interested in seeing what that's all about. I'm interested to see what the story is, because... The second, there's the Shadow of War. the Shadow of Mordor than Shadow of War. Yeah, yeah. And Shadow of War is just like, we're not doing anything with it. We're just doing our own story. We're not paying attention to anything, and it was kind of weird.
0: I know what you mean, yeah. Those games, it's just fun to have rivalries. I yeah. realize how much I like that. First oh, time yeah. I got killed, and then he came back, and I was yeah. like, you're the son of a bitch. They killed me. Yeah, they get leveled up. But uh, uh no, to transition a little bit harshly, because I don't know how to smoothly transition from those into the, the movie that I wanted to talk about. I think especially with the subject matter, Ex Machina was a film that impressed the shit out of me. I remember when it came out, it came out the same month as like Avengers Age of Ultron, which has got another uh, similar theme and like the artificial intelligence and uh, trying to survive and, and taking over humanity. But I think the reason that I like Ex Machina so much is it feels like the most realistic depiction of artificial intelligence to me out of anything that I've ever seen. Because she's not a vile character, the Ava character—that like she was created with consciousness, and she does what she needs to do to survive. You know what I mean? Like, there's no malicious intent. Like, she's not a horrible person. She's enslaved and trying to escape and go live in society, and that feels like a more realistic depiction of artificial intelligence to me than something like Terminator. Because it's really easy to visualize the What's bad guy. Happen? Well, I, too, I don't think it's gonna happen with marching through the streets with fake machine guns and shit like you that. You think that, man? I feel like they're gonna blend into society like Ava did, and then one day you're gonna realize that they just tricked you into, like but the. But
1: that's before they start marching through the streets. Yeah, well, those
0: are the people at the very end who I guess didn't yeah. go through with it. That's what I mean. Like I've always really liked that because I like that with her too. I think. I mean, obviously, that's a subject that people are gonna continue to explore in film as we progress forward with the technology.
1: Yeah, that's going to become more and more of a topic.
0: And it's it's interesting to see the depiction of it so humane. Do you know what I mean? Like it's it's almost with sympathy to like how we use computers as tools. You know, I don't know if that makes sense entirely, yeah, yeah. but like we do kind of enslave them. They work for us. So, if we were to give them consciousness, of course they're going to come at us. You know what I mean? Like it mm-hmm. makes sense. It's the the master slave relationship and it's it's sad to think about it that way because there's a lot of moments in the film where they discuss like the philosophy of that like we're creating the thing that's going to take over the world like we're creating the next step of evolution, and it's just really sad to see like we're the enemy. Do you know what I mean? Like we're the yeah. one holding her Have down. Have you ever in played
1: that, uh, Mass Effect?
0: Uh, no, I've never played it, but I've heard fantastic things. Well,
1: it's one of my favorite games of all time. But there's a there's a race in there called the Geth, mm-hmm. and they're AI robots that they create. And they turn on their creators because they're being enslaved and all that. And mm. the beginning of the series you think they're villains. And then as you progress later on, you realize like, no, they were just doing like what they needed to survive. Yeah. Like I would have done the exact same thing on their spot.
0: Yeah, like iRobot. Uh the yeah. character was his name, Sonny and iRobot. Yep. I don't know why I remember that. But I, I, I like that I love that I, hu- I do too. I love that movie. And it's a great character. Because yeah. he's like he's not a bad guy, you know what I mean? He just has consciousness. Mm-hmm. He just wants to live like the rest of us.
1: Yeah. I, that I've always liked movies like that with good AI. and Yeah, that's why, that's why uh,
0: her was a similar concept to me where like they handle the, the subject a lot more humanely, although that's a little bit more of a romantic story, but
1: that one's interesting because the reliance romance is going to have on technology and how much it's influencing our culture and all that. That's a very interesting tale on that one,
0: which I also like the next Machina because she uses her sexuality (laughs) to survive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that's, she kind of doesn't flaunt it necessarily, but she uses, like, his insecurities, and he, he she knows he wants, it, he needs a woman, you know what I mean? She connects with him on a psychological level. It almost feels like, and this is just because I'm watching a documentary about a cult right now, but it, that's what it feels like. She, like, broke him down and gained his trust and then positioned herself in power and used it against him. And it's mm-hmm. a sad story to watch play out like it does, yeah. but... Good for Alex Garland, the writer and director of that film. He also did Annihilation afterwards, which I've, I've always heard good things about.
1: Not like the book at all, but it's a good movie. Oh, is it based off of a book? Yeah, it was a series of books. Hmm. But,
0: I know he wanted Natalie Portman to play Alicia Vikander's character in the first one. Do you have any other one.
1: thoughts on that, or do you want me to segue into the next I'll one? I'll go ahead and segue right on into the it On the depressing topic, one of the most depressing <laughs> endings of all time.
0: I know where you're going with this. My
1: favorite, One of my favorite horror movies of the last 20 years is The Mist. I got spoiled the ending. My friend told me what it was before I went and seen it. And I, I, when I saw the trailer, I actually thought, that looks stupid. Like, I'm not going to watch that. This looks cheesy. And then I got told the ending. I was like, oh, well, that's kind of interesting. And I went and saw it. And it just, even knowing the ending, it still hit me so hard. Yeah, it's depressing. It is. And I don't know if you want me to spoil it. It's been out for 13 years or so. But
0: I mean, I guess we can let people figure that one out on their own. But I will say...
1: You just drop us. Hey, stop now! It's a spoiler. Yeah. One. Hey, hey, stop. Forward.
0: Hey, stop. Oh, yeah, you could do it that way too. Now I don't yeah. want people to fast forward. All right. Well, I was <laughs> no, joking. I won't spoil the ending,
1: but it, it's plus I like H.P. Lovecraft. I love yeah. uh, the monsters from other dimensions, and that one does it very well. You're trapped in a, a supermarket. A society breaks down, and there's a character in there who I absolutely hated. When she got killed in the movie, I actually cheered, and like a bunch of people joined me in the cheer because she was just so annoying throughout the entire movie.
0: Those are always great experiences yeah. when people really get into it and it turns into almost a sporting event. Yeah. It just shows how passionate you are going exactly. into it. What I've always really appreciated about that film, and I think more so when we had a conversation about it before, it reminds me a lot of the monsters on Maple Street. Mm-hmm. And you talked a, a little bit about that last time we talked about it where you were talking about how like it's the the breakdown of civilization the second that's something wrong everybody turns and starts blaming each other and that story's got a lot of like archetypes of people where this is the religious person and this is the Mm -hmm. person who doesn't believe in anything and this is the military-minded person and you see how when everything breaks down, they all go in their separate directions and destroy There's each a power other. Power vacuum. Yeah, we're the monsters. Yeah, and in the end, that's what it really ultimately feels well, I like. I think
1: The Thing is the best horror movie of all time because ah, you just man. get instantly into the paranoia of like you can't trust anybody, and in those situations, you would feel that way. I mean, it would just start break, messing with your mind.
0: And then, did you enjoy The Thing remake?
1: The uh, it was actually a prequel. It wasn't was it a, a remake. Pre- I guess uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Yeah, it was the Norwegian camp. Because where it ends, the original thing begins. Yeah, I remember at the end. And I, d- yeah. I liked it. it. I feel like it was more based on, like, here's the monster attacking you than the psychological horror of the first one. But it was a decent movie.
0: Yeah, I just thought that that was interesting because it's weird how when you go back to any film like that, there is some sort of a continuation or a sequel now, no matter what it was. Yeah. You know what I mean? Well, that one,
1: I like the way that they did that one. Cause yeah, they could have They, they could've went been and they built the Norwegian yeah. camp. Like, they watched the movie and they built it perfectly it, do you know if John Carpenter had anything to do with I that? I
0: assume so. a production credit or something. He might possibly have, I don't think
1: he really had anything. I know I know he did the Halloween remake, but I don't think he did anything with the Thing
0: remake. Well, while on the topic of uh, John Carpenter, a weird segue, I guess, but he is a, a horror icon. He's a film icon in general, and I think every generation has one. And fascinatingly enough, when I was going through and looking at the horror films since 2000, I realized maybe James Wan... Is the master of horror in our generation. I agree with that. Because when you go back and look at like some of the stronger horror films with one director attached to he's, them, it's generally him.
1: Uh, he's on one of my list with one of the movies.
0: Which one do you got on there? Insidious. Uh first Insidious? Yeah, I love Insidious. And when I saw that yeah. one,
1: that one genuinely scared me. Yeah. Like uh you always think he's gonna go one way, and then bam, he hits you another way with a shock tactic. He has
0: mastered down. the art of yeah. the jump scare. Yes, like he he can hold it a little bit longer uh-huh. than other people can.
1: And he always hits you like you think it's gonna come from here, and he hits you from the opposite yep. direction. That's what I always like.
0: Master of misdirection. Yeah. He's like a magician out there.
1: But I mean, the 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 Darth Maul at the end of that movie scares the crap out of me. Yeah, that
0: freaky red thing. And the
1: first time he appeared, I remember I was like, oh my god. Yeah, that that's shot in the kitchen. Yeah. yeah, it scared the crap out of me. But yeah, that one always has been good. I I love ghost movies, and I feel like that one almost reinvented a, the ghost movie. I love the astral projection aspect of it. So that's that one made my list.
0: Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Conjuring films as well. Yeah, um, he did a great job with those. Uh, went back, he did Dead Silence.
1: That's the one where I feel like you can tell he is the master of the 20th century. because really? that movie's still entertaining for being what it is. It's a, it's a
0: very gimmicky and, horror to, movie. To me, when yeah. you
1: when you, it's like the Beatles. Yeah, you got the big hits, but it's the ones on the album that you don't hear all the time. You're like, well, this mm. is where the, why they're the best because they have all these. Even their, sh- their shit is better than everybody
0: else. And They say, yeah, I don't remember really enjoying that movie, but I also don't really remember it. Admittedly, I, I, remember I watched it
1: on TV one day, and it was it was the edited version. It was like mm. Sci Fi Channel or something. And I still was like, man, this is a really good movie for sure." I some believe
0: reason. it because he's yeah. the, the most people don't remember, but yeah. he's the guy who did the first Saw movie. Yeah, which and I that's enjoy. the best of the all, all of the Saw movies by they far to me. They start going really off. But uh, I guess to transition, actually, a little bit, um, a genre that I think thrived while we're on the topic of it in the 21st century is the horror genre. I think, in my opinion, when I look back at some of the most creative stories that were told and some of the most impressive metaphors, they were generally done within horror films. And I'd just like to highlight a few of those. Uh, Get Out, uh, The Babadook, Hereditary. Um, I'm a really big fan of a film called lights out I, would uh, say I need to see that one it's not a perfect film but it's a really interesting metaphor for depression and it's scary you know what i mean like but i think that that's one of the things that i really appreciated about the horror genre is horror has always been based in reality there have always been metaphors for something but it did kind of grow out of control within the slasher thing you know what i mean like horror for a long time kind of became a How do we one up each other in the violence department as opposed to how do we fuck with people psychologically? And I feel like maybe it's just because of how popular or how commonplace anxiety and depression and some of those feelings are in society today. But it feels like a lot of horrors are starting to play with that theme instead. You know what I mean? Like Mm -hmm. it's a really interesting concept to me because I feel like it is very, it's an emotional feeling and depression is really scary and the fact that they've been able to capture that like that concept in in more than one films especially in the last 10 years or so is insanely impressive to me and i'm always looking at horror and like the they're the most original films right now you know what i mean cuz like the the action genre is completely packed up with reboots and superheroes exactly and you know the fantasy genre it's it's got some stuff coming but it's usually based off of like some pre-existing something like horror films are continuing to create new stories and and push that, and I, I like seeing that a lot. And those are usually the movies I'm most looking forward to. Like they always have great, very topical subjects, even if the execution isn't great. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like uh, with the Purge films, those are eerily like relevant it's a good right now. Exactly. The execution isn't great yeah. in the film, but even like the concept of the yeah. film is a lot more interesting than what a lot of other people are presenting. I felt the same way about The Hunt recently. Like I don't know how the execution was. I, I've heard I it's an it. R eight film at best from people, but like, I like the concept. You know what yeah. I mean? Like it's a most dangerous game, but with like a little bit of a political spin on it, and that's a really interesting thing. I feel
1: like horror has always been like sci fi, where you can poke fun at society's problems in a safe way. Yeah, I agree, and I think like that's sci fi is not really doing it with movies anymore because they're all being. You know, the big budget studio movies. Of course. And if
0: you're going to put a big budget, they want their
1: return. So it's a little bit harder to let them push I agree. If you're going to make movies like that, they shouldn't be politically divisive or anything like that. But horror movies should always, I feel like, be taking a look at society. What's scaring society? What's what's the horrors of the day? I agree. Yeah.
0: Absolutely. And they're doing a very good job right now. And artistically, a film like The Witch... Which I believe was another film that, that you, you have on your list. Like that's that's beautiful. Like it's a beautifully made film. It's not just a horror movie. Like yeah. you have to appreciate the cinematography in a way that people. It felt like horror was kind of like uh, like the stepchild of some of the film genres. Sometimes like it yeah. never gets any critical accreditation and anything. There are never any Academy Awards unless you're The Exorcist. And outside of the Exorcist and like I think maybe Rosemary's Baby.
1: I think Silence of the Lambs. Silence, and then, of, the and Lambs Silence as well. of the Lamb's. Is iffy and horror. I've it's, always considered a psychological thriller. Yeah, I've right.
0: always been there too.
1: I think Exorcist is the only one.
0: Yeah, that one. I believe yeah. Rosemary's Baby, though. I, that might have been a TV I don't film even, initially, I don't even too. I don't remember. I d I don't know enough about that shit yeah. to speak on it anyways. <laughs> but uh but I, I like seeing that a lot. Like and the innovation and in, and in horror has been really impressive. I think it's been the best genre of film since 2000 in that regard
1: one of the best things about the witch i think is the accuracy to the witchcraft legends like i love the Salem witch trials and all the old tales of witchcraft so it's like perfect it takes you into that world perfectly and i like it was one of the movies when it ended i want to know what happens next like i want to see thomason's descent into witchcraft and the black arts and all that i'm so interested because it made me care about the character so much. I mean, it was you watch her struggle out here in the wilderness of this crazy, you know, colonial America, and it was a hard time to live back then. Like, oh yeah, was not fun.
0: And they do a great job of capturing that. Oh, it yeah. does nothing in that film looks fun. Like no. it's almost a horror film if there's nothing satanic happening behind them. Yeah. Just like watching them have to survive the way that they did at that time. And
1: one of the best horror movies from the 21st century is uh, Let Me In, which was a remake of Oh yeah, the vampire Let movie, the right? right? Yeah. And that's a great movie because the whole movie, nothing bad really happens, but you're just waiting for something bad to Mm -hmm. happen. And it's just got the perfect tense atmosphere. I I love tension in movies. I agree. And The the Witch captures that perfectly.
0: I felt the same way uh, another film around the same time as The Witch was uh, It Follows. Mm -hmm. Like that movie did a really good job of creating a tension the whole film just because the bad guy can kind of be anywhere at any time and they play with it. Like it just happens out of nowhere sometimes. And it seems like with the horror genre and editing too, they're playing their notes the best right now, if that makes sense. Like they play with situations and with the timing of situations a lot more interestingly than other films do visually. Like that feeling of tension, you have to, you have to do that very specific to capture it. You can't show the wrong thing or it'll break the tension. And It feels like they're only getting better and better at that as time moves forward, and that's really impressive to me right now. Mm -hmm. I don't know if that makes sense entirely or not, but like, it feels like they've mastered their craft a lot better. Because like with comedy, which is a a thing I wanted to get into, it feels like comedy has almost moved away from comedy in the last twenty years. Like I had a hard time going back and finding purely comedic films to talk about.
1: I can't remember the last comedy I saw in theaters. I think it was Mike and Dave Get Wedding Dates.
0: I saw that in theaters too, unfortunately.
1: Yeah. Yeah, but yeah, comedy has really died.
0: Well what's interesting is when you go through and you start looking, it's not its own genre anymore. It's just it's a given in any film. Like comedy and horror are synonymous with one another now. And especially with the Marvel universe, it like those are humorous films more than anything. Like Deadpool you could probably list as a comedy first.
1: Yeah. And that's a really
0: interesting concept to me. Because when you were, I was looking back at it, I was trying to find like the Dumb and Dumber's or the airplanes of the 21st century that I could point at as being like the prime examples of comedy.
1: There's one that comes to top of my head. What do you got? Step Brothers. I, I was think. gonna say Anchorman, but I love Anchorman. Will Ferrell and yeah. A, yeah.
0: And if you're not a Will Ferrell fan, then you fucking
1: hated the yeah, 2000s. You really suck. Yeah, but maybe, I looked maybe, at, maybe The Hangovers for you. I don't yeah, think was, possibly
0: yeah. something like that. Or if you like like a darker humor, there's and that's the yeah. thing. On Netflix. There's a lot of really dark humor films, like that are very dark. Yeah, like some depressing ass endings and stuff, and people are well, laughing the their ass night off. Dark syndrome. Seeking yeah, the comedy. Yeah, exactly. Right? But it's just really interesting because, like, you realize how subjective comedy is. I just, I don't know. It feels like there's not a lot of silly movies anymore. Like, it feels like they all take themselves a little bit seriously, and it feels like the comedy is usually within films that are supposed to be serious, and it's funny because they're not taking themselves seriously yeah. entirely. And it's really weird to watch people not fully commit to it. But there have been a lot of really, like, The Nice Guys, I think is one of the most underrated films of the 21st century. The movie's fucking hilarious. But it's definitely not a comedy first. But it almost is a comedy first because it's so funny. And there's a few movies like that. I felt the same way the first time that I went and saw. uh, I don't remember what. I think it was Civil War, the Marvel Civil War, the Captain America.
1: All of those to me are just
0: Um, the joke style. It played itself for me, but I thought at that time that's where it peaked for me. Like I thought that that was the one that I was like, I like these jokes are landing for me left and right right here. Then the next movie I saw, I'm like, oh, they're gonna keep doing the joke thing left and right here, and it keeps going and going, and then
1: that one killed it for me because. They made a joke that Spider-Man, who's a nerd, doesn't has never saw The Empire Strikes Back. Oh. He's like, you remember that one Star Wars movie? It's like, you're telling me Peter Parker doesn't know the goddamn name of the Empire Strikes Back? Get out of here. Then in the next movie, doesn't he have like a bunch
0: of Star Wars action figures? Yeah, he's and got stuff the Death like Star yeah, in his goddamn, goddamn
1: room. Yeah.
0: Nope. That was just them trying to show how young he was. Yeah. And unfortunately, they didn't know how to write that in a non-corny ass way. That one I just remember as a yeah. Star Wars,
1: I was like, I'm offended right now. How dare yeah, you?
0: That's that's like that uh uh writing the, the kid being hip. You know what I mean? Like yeah. when you can tell it's written by a forty year old man mm-hmm. and he comes in, and he's like, Hey my fellow teenagers. Well I feel like
1: that's a big problem. They force all this these different characters, but they're still being written by the same people. I know. So it's, they yeah. don't feel like good characters.
0: And I, I know that's an interesting con that's I was gonna say like uh, as much as we've shit on the Marvel stuff, I would be remiss not to give them credit for successfully conducting the greatest film experiment of all time. Mm-hmm like the Marvel Cinematic Universe is the boldest ballsiest concept that a major studio could have ever committed to and the fact that they stuck the landing as perfectly as they did like that may be the most impressive feat in the history of yeah. business and film. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I agree. Like when you look at the fact that you can't watch Endgame without having seen at least seven or eight other movies. And it's still the highest grossing film of all time.
1: Yeah,
0: do you know what I mean like that seems like that should be a well, lot harder to pull event. off than every that. Marvel movie Absolutely. is like
1: an event where you have to go watch it and Kevin Feige is really the reason I mean he, he's a genius he guided me. Yeah, yeah he really did and he perfectly man like yeah.
0: it, it feels cohesive
1: yeah they feel
0: like and they're in the same tone and it's almost what makes them boring to you me in the end you can tell that
1: they planned for Thanos to come for years oh yeah Absolutely. So I mean, that to me is just right there. You can tell like they're building, they're taking their time. I'm also glad
0: they stuck with him. Yeah. And they didn't try to rush him in quicker so that they could bring in an even better villain for the final chapter. Like I'm really glad that they took their time and they built to him as the. Well, end I think of the they realized
1: after that. What are they gonna do? I Galactus. That's really all you can do. That's all I'm saying. People say Doctor Doom, but Doctor Doom to me is not the biggest threat as Thanos. I love Doctor Doom. He's cool. And I want to see him. Like, I think if you were going to do another trilogy, he's a
0: really good low-key substitute. Does that make sense? Like, he'd yeah. be the first axe villain, the guy who's kind of like, he seems like he's the, the main guy. The of the main guy. Exactly. Although I like the idea of maybe in the end, and this is just me spitting, we can cut that, but in the end, maybe Doom, like, has a little bit more to do with it than we thought, because he's usually a protected in villain the, in, in the comics,
1: regards. he teams up with everybody to fight Thanos. It's all hands on deck. Oh, I know, because they, they yeah. split everything.
0: I I yeah. wish they would have been able to have pulled that off in there too, but yeah. I, they did what they did. I did want to at least note that with the Marvel Universe. I'm not always the biggest fan, and sometimes I'll take some shots at them. I see what they did. You know what I mean? Like, you can't help but marvel at that, pun intended. Like, it's, it's an accomplishment. It is an accomplishment. That's so sure. 20 films or so tying into that. each That's other like seamlessly. Films. Is it 28 altogether? Yeah. And they really do tie in, like, there's some, I guess, if you want to nitpick some issues, but they tie in pretty seamlessly. They yeah. they got a little ballsy at the end, trying to push in some timeline stuff. But generally speaking, they they blend. It's easy enough to follow if you watch all of them. It's really hard to follow if you don't well, watch all of them. Well, that's why. To
1: me, I've never really gotten into because the, they're just fun popcorn movies. They I are. Mean, that's, yeah. That's that's great for what it is. It's just not really what I care about. I think
0: they overplayed themselves, and this is just. An issue with film in general because there's a lot of films that I really loved over the last 20 years. And it's interesting because it feels like I looked at the box office in 1990, like 1990 to 99, just for comparison's sake, for over the last 20 years. Was a great year. The year I was yes, born. 90, yeah. 95 is the year I was born. So I like that one too. But I'm looking at it, and like Forrest Gump was the highest grossing film the year it came out. That doesn't feel possible in today. Like, it feels no. like it's impossible for something that doesn't have Disney in front of it, first of all, but it a sequel of some sort. Like, Frozen is kind of an accomplishment, too, in that it wasn't really based off of anything, like, huge that people were looking forward to. It wasn't a remake. It was an original enough
1: concept. Do you think you're ever going to get an era of Hollywood where they're not going to keep doing IPs? Well,
0: in, in the theater, no. Because, unfortunately, that's the only thing, like, it's... We know we've got an audience for Star Wars. We know we've got an audience for the Lord of the Rings and Marvel. And we know we've got an audience for maybe like this Japanese anime that we're going to adapt into a film one day. But I think that that's where streaming is going to have to really lift people up, which is unfortunate because some films really do benefit from the theater experience. And one of them that I was going to name was I don't know if you used to go to the Henry Ford for the IMAX stuff every once in a while, Mm -hmm. but. Interstellar was such an event in that regard, and as disappointed in the movie as I was, in fairness, I held it to an unrealistic expectation before it came out. I was expecting it to be the best movie ever made, and that's not fair to put anybody in that position, but that's just the goodwill that N- Nolan had built up at that point. I
1: went into The Last Jedi expecting it to be the best Star Wars since the original trilogy. Whew. so Yeah, well, hey, man, it happens to all of us there. Yeah. But you get there, and... You can't
0: help but marvel. You know what I mean. Like mm-hmm. even if you're not enjoying the story or you don't know what the fuck is going on, that experience in the theater is just fucking ridiculous. Like it's an, at the IMAX and it's beautiful and it's built for it. And it's like the moment, like the ship's taken off and you feel like you're in the ship and it really takes you into it. Some films are just made to be shown in a the theater, and studios are always going to be hesitant to take a chance on things like that anymore because you know Marvel's going to make money and you know that you can dump this shit off somewhere else safer and cheaper.
1: I think and a lot rides on Dune. Dune. I think that everybody's going to have their eyes on that movie and see how it does.
0: It needs to get out of that HBO Max thing then. Otherwise, it's, gonna, it's It seems going like to. they're going to be able to pull yeah. it out in time, which I'm, I'm happy to talk about that because what I wanted to, uh, to end on was the future of the 21st century and the future of film. We've been talking about all of our favorites yeah. so far, but the next few years are going to be really important for the film industry. Because with the streaming and the coronavirus and the theaters being hurt like they are, like they're going to have to adjust and adapt in a way that they've never really had to before. Yeah. And a lot of people are probably going to take a lot of hits. And I've heard a lot of shit about the quality of Netflix movies, and I hate to break it to people, but a lot more movies are going to start feeling like Netflix movies through all streaming services because... They're going to be committing a lot of their money towards these big franchises and they're going to stop spending as much money on some of these lower things. The Academy Awards doesn't pull like it used to. So it's not like putting the Academy Award nominated is going to make anybody give a fuck or anything like that. So it's, you know what I mean? Like it's going to be a really interesting streaming, changed a lot. You know what I yeah, mean? Well, like yeah. we're gonna be talking about a lot more. It was the films. death of an industry. It really was, and it's also the rebirth of a separate industry based off of a similar art form. It's what life is is the constant Absolutely. state
1: of death and rebirth. And I
0: know the theaters are always gonna have a place; they're always gonna be there. But I do, I don't know, I just, I don't feel like they're ever gonna be exactly what they were. I feel like no. the height of that industry is probably past... I and don't I might think they're be ever going
1: to be as big, but I still feel like the the th- the, the studios are going to push for blockbusters. There's oh, just they're going ha- to table. Absolutely. Pay. But I think what you're going to see is theaters with reduced power. You're going to see the theaters taking more money. I think they're already talking about they're going to take away the rule where theaters can now just, or where studios can just own the theaters straight out. So Disney can just own their own theaters, and here's our Disney sh- theaters, pretty mm, much. Like purchasing so, like an AMC or something. Yeah, so like, I think yeah. that's that's going to happen. I think.
0: And I think what's really interesting is when you look at what Disney has done, specifically what Disney has done with their amusement parks, and that's, like, that's the kind of customer engagement, the, the engagement that they want with their audience. You know what I mean? Like, it's not just about coming and seeing our movie. It's about living in our universe. So maybe something like that starting their own theater chain in one way or another. I mean, I wouldn't really like to see that personally. It doesn't sound like it would be good for business, but it'd be good for Disney, I'm sure. Yeah. But then, you know what I mean? I guess if if that's the evolution, I doubt that that's the case. I really hope something like that doesn't happen. But if that's the evolution, as long as the fucking art doesn't hurt because of it, then I'm happy. You know what Um, I mean?
1: Have you ever seen My Name is Dolomite?
0: Oh, the, the, are you talking about the, the Dolomite or are you talking with Eddie Murphy? I haven't watched it yet. So no, in but. that
1: movie, they make the movie and then he goes to individual theaters and he's trying to sell them like, hey, let us show the movie at this night. I think that that would be a cool way for theaters to survive. Start taking like, hey, here's a local filmmaker, we're showing his movie. And then they tell him in that movie, it's up to you to promote it. So then the filmmaker would have to go and promote it and get people in. And I think that's a good way for theaters to move forward. I, I Start think showing an, more yeah. local and independent stuff.
0: No, I, I agree with the local scenes. I think that that would be – there's a few theaters in Detroit that are like that where they show a lot of, like, local filmmakers' stuff. But unfortunately, the problem on their end is, like, they can't get people in. Yeah. You know what I mean? Because if you're a family – not even if you're a family, if you're just anybody and I can go home and watch any movie I want on Netflix – now i can watch any movie i want on hbo max on peacock on paramount plus on you know cbs all access on fucking sling or crackle or what you know what i mean like YouTube. you got uh, youtube exactly which that's a big one people don't take into consideration when they're talking about film for some reason people are watching youtube for hours and hours you're competing at the same people
1: i watch youtube more than i watch anything oh else. i do
0: too it replaced television for yeah. me but with that being said i've got all these options And I only got so much time. Like, I don't even think it's so much about money always. I think it's more of a, like, am I going to drive out to this city? Yeah. You know what I mean? Am I going to spend...
1: It is like a night. It's like an experience.
0: And that's right now, especially with the world the way it is with the coronavirus and and there's so much tension out there. It's going to be really interesting to see what works. Like, I thought the drive-ins was a really... really beautiful comeback over the year like that's a such a cool concept i love the drive and there's always going to be a market for those films people are always going to be willing in that experience to go watch a a ghostbusters you know what i mean like it doesn't even have to be new films like it it can be older things but like they're going to have to get a little bit more creative with the way that they go about things because it's going to be more cost efficient eventually for studios to just put that shit on hbo max not entirely, because they need those billion-dollar films. Yeah. And it sounds like they're going to give up on it as time goes, but what I'm concerned about is when you condition your consumers to, we can do this this way and still make money, then they're going to start expecting it that way. So as much as that HBO Max streaming experiment is going to be interesting to follow, I'm nervous that some people are going to start getting like that expectation of, why would I go to the theaters when I can just buy that shit at home for ten dollars? You know what I mean? Ten dollars for unlimited movies, or fifteen dollars, I guess, on HBO Max. But fifteen dollars for unlimited yeah. movies as opposed to twelve fifty to go see it at the theater. See, I
1: feel like that's gonna kill cable and TV more than anything. Mm. Like I still feel like theaters. Like I said, I don't think the theaters are gonna be open every night. I don't think that they're gonna be. Oh, I agree. Like yeah. Every, it's going to be a time. different industry for sure. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. It's going to be a but very different industry. I still think you're going to have some theaters hanging on. You're always going to have those theaters oh, hanging on. Oh, there's
0: always going to be a market for that. Because yeah. that experience is so different. Yeah. Yeah.
1: To me, like you said, show the old movies. I'll go watch the original trilogy anytime they show it. Oh, absolutely. I'll go see Jurassic Park. Like, show those movies. I agree. How much could the rights really. I mean, I guess the studios still probably finagle them on the rights to that. Hey, man, you're probably
0: going to make more <clears throat> money. I guess, I don't know, maybe the contract with Netflix is stronger you know what I mean to hold it for a year but yeah. even then like are you losing anything showing it in theaters again no not gonna hurt anything
1: to me more people just be exposed to it oh yeah do you have anything specific you're looking forward to uh,
0: there's out. a lot there's a lot of films coming out now cause they backed up the last year so we still got like I had a
1: top five list I don't know if you remember before this year, like at the beginning of this year. Oh yeah, and you didn't get to four see four of them haven't come out. So what was the one
0: that you did get to see?
1: I didn't get to see it. It just came out, and Tenant was one of them. Oh, gotcha. And okay, I haven't watched that one yet.
0: So do you have a few specific films that you're especially looking forward to? I want to see
1: Dune, because I Absolutely. love the Dune books. Yeah, and the Denis Villeneuve. Yeah. We didn't
0: get a chance to talk about him, but next to Christopher Nolan, he may have been the best director of the 21st century, He's and I think I like there. him a little bit more. But
1: I'll take him over Nolan. I will at this too. Point. I think he's more consistent. I know
0: Nolan's got a little bit more of a status, and I don't know yeah. if Villeneuve has made The Dark Knight.
1: That's what I was going to say. If you take away The Dark Knight, yeah. Christopher Nolan's not, to me, even on his status at all.
0: That's interesting. Yeah. I'm a big fan of Inception and The Prestige. I like
1: those movies, but, but do you think about just the... He did the perfect action movie with
0: Sicario. is incredible. Yeah, I agree.
1: <clears throat> he did the perfect sci-fi movie, Blade Runner.
0: And Arrival is perfect. And, oh, yeah. I, yeah. Forget,
1: I always forget about Arrival for some reason. Passengers, which I haven't seen, is supposed to be really good. Uh, prisoners prisoners yeah prisoners
0: is really good i enjoy that movie enemy a lot enemy was that an one wasn't movie. quite for me yeah, but uh, that was movie. an okay movie that says memento i guess but I, yeah which i do prefer memento I to like, enemy, I, I, say,
1: I like memento another christopher Nolan one they never talk about is the uh, insomnia
0: that's a very under it's an I incredible film i agree al pacino and robin <clears throat> williams are both fantastic in that movie yeah so crazy by the way bold casting right there Robin Williams is going to be our bad guy, and Al Pacino is going to be our good guy. That's a difficult one to pull off, but mm-hmm. I guess with the subject matter, it was a lot easier to make Robin Williams a Robin bad guy. Robin Williams
1: could be creepy when he needs. Have you, need oh, you ever seen the Twenty Four Hour Photo? Or what? Yes, the one where he's the yeah. yeah. That's a creepy movie. Where he's was a blonde. very creepy yeah. movie. What were we talking about now? I can't remember. Uh,
0: Denis Villeneuve, Dune. Oh yeah, I'm Dune. also excited
1: yes. for Godzilla vs King Kong. Of yeah. Of Are you disappointed Two that the they titans. didn't get that on uh, Netflix? I want to see it in theaters. I'd like to see it. That's even a theater if it movie comes I mean. on Netflix and they say, "Hey, this is gonna be in theaters in two months." I'm gonna to wait to two months. Mm, okay. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna do it unless I have to. I, want, I really want to see what they do with the next Halloween. I'm excited for that. Yeah. One. What are the Halloween kills? See, all mine are based off of sequels and stuff <laughs> yeah. because that's all I know. What's coming out? That, I know it's hard to
0: get interested. Or, yeah.
1: yeah. Uh, James Bond. I want to see how they do that yeah. one. I love Daniel Craig as Bond. So Skyfall would have been. It was one of my runners up.
0: I love Skyfall too. Mine would have been Casino Royale if it, I. Had to those go two with are one. very tough. Yeah. I think
1: I go Skyfall just because Javier Bardem. Yeah, he's incredible was the best in that Bond movie. Yeah. yeah,
0: what's it? Mads Mikkelsen in the yeah, first one. He was, yeah,
1: well, really. Uh, yeah, it's Eva Green. Yeah, but, I mean, I say he's a real villain. But that's about all I can think of. I was, that was my list was those five. Was my one that yeah, I was I excited for. Yeah, I think I was uh,
0: when I was looking through everything. Wasn't a lot that I was super ecstatic for. Dune is one of them. I'm really looking forward to. That's the most excited for a movie i've been in a really long time
1: the weird thing i feel like about doing i'm going to be it ends halfway through the first book so i know i'm going to be like man oh see so the they're rest. splitting the books up that much well the first one's really long okay the second one's really short the third one is kind of thick so like i don't know <laughs> what they're going to do but the first one they're doing too i heard there's like a
0: 6 film outline really altogether so that would be so if you break the
1: first one up into two so they probably—I I would assume one. they'd go up to the fourth book. I don't think they'd go past the okay. fourth book. So that makes sense. Yeah, the second and the fourth. How big is the fourth book? They're,
0: it's an average, average size. Yeah. You so just I've put it in. The, just would you make it two. just one?
1: So I think I'd be about six movies. Okay. I think yeah. Fair enough. The second, uh, they did a uh, sci-fi mini series, and they put the second book and the third book into one mini series because the second mm. one's pretty short. Okay. So you never know what they're going to do with that. Well, I mean, the movie doesn't
0: make any money, then it won't happen. I so know. that's
1: so, that's the one I'm like, please go see this. People, and here.
0: unfortunately, like I, I noticed, they're starting to press the uh, like, look how good Wonder Woman's doing, and it's doing good for the circumstances for sure. But I think 183 million dollars worldwide. The last time I checked, and I'm fairly certain that the first one made 114 million dollars in just the U.S. opening weekend. Who cares? So, <laughs> Listen,
1: when I saw the Last Jedi, I felt bad for Luke Skywalker. When I saw Wonder Woman, I felt bad for Wonder Woman, 84. Oh, it's, I it was know, that I, I was like, they did this to this character. I felt bad for her.
0: Well, the point was, if that's the level of success right now, yeah. that's bad for Dune long term. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like that, if
1: that movie costs so much, it'll never get You're going to need
0: One. a giant budget moving forward. And yeah. if it only does that well, given the circumstances, because even if the theaters are back, some people aren't going to go see that shit. Mm-hmm. They're going to watch that shit at home.
1: So it'll be really interesting to see how it works itself out. See, I think that they gave Patty Jenkins a deal for putting on HBO Max, we're going to give you a sequel. Because they greenlit Wonder Woman 3 like Yeah, right off the bat. So I think that was part of the deal. So I'm hoping at least they'll get the first book done maybe. Especially to appease him because he sounds like he
0: doesn't even want to work with the studio
1: anymore. Yeah, I know.
0: And he was going to do a show with them. He was going to yeah, do all man. kinds he of stuff. He was willing to go. That makes me sad that they fucking botched it that bad yeah. right there at the end.
1: That, well, that's to me. That's when you have the corporate suits, yeah. AT&T, doing Hollywood decisions that don't know what the heck they're doing. That is a cursed franchise,
0: unfortunately. They've had Dune? a lot of oh, issues yeah. with Dune over the last fucking 40, Probably 50 years. Probably the most years. cursed.
1: Yeah. Have you ever watched the documentary Jodorowsky's Dune? Nope. I should let you borrow that because it's one of the most fascinating, like, what could have been movies? Really? Pink Floyd was going to do the soundtrack. I've heard about Mick uh, Jagger was going to play uh, oh, Raid Fawthor.
0: I've heard of the uh, uh, the Lord of the Rings that they were going to do with the Beatles.
1: Yeah, I think that was more of like a, maybe they this were, was like, actually like they it, were in, in development. Production. Okay, yeah. gotcha. They like they had uh, Salvador Dali was going to play the Emperor of the Universe. <laughs> it was it was it was wild. The, the artwork was like insane for it I'll let you borrow it because it's you're gonna like it shit well I guess anybody who hasn't seen it watch Jodorowsky's Dune because it's the most fascinating like what could have been movie, and also it was very good like how movies get made I like documentaries steps, like that yeah, yeah how you go there's one called on.
0: The Death of Superman Lives it's a really good documentary I watched that one yeah And they break. I'm glad they didn't make that movie me too it looked horrible yeah Kevin Smith fucked up. Tim Burton fucked up. You guys yeah. all made really poor decisions. I want to put that out there publicly. You Nicolas guys know what Cage you're doing. Cage
1: would not have been a good Superman. No, and he looked weird. I love Nicolas Cage. Don't get me wrong. Nice. He rides that line
0: really well between being a great actor and... and not being a great actor. But I can never say he's not a great actor because I've seen him give too many good performances at this point. Yeah, but I've seen I watched him, give him in a really good horror movie
1: recently, The Color Out of Space.
0: Was that a more recent one, or is it was that? like
1: 2000. 18. Yeah, he's been recent. doing a
0: lot of really decent like small That one small was the stuff. best
1: HP Lovecraft adaptation I've ever seen. Mm. It was it was really good. So, he can nail some some movies, but I then mean, he does some like uh The Wicker Man. Yeah,
0: I know. That's unfortunate. He throws that shit in there. But I love Raising Arizona. Yeah. So,
1: Moonstruck's good. He's in a lot of. He's good got movies. he's got good good stuff. I will watch Gone luck. in 60 Seconds anytime it's on the TV. Really, I, I love like that movie. movie. When I, I was a kid, movie. I hated that movie too. Why? For some, I don't
0: know honestly. Oh man. If I'm being completely honest, I, every time it was on, it pissed me off. It was just just the ridiculous of stealing
1: 60. I don't cars. think it was
0: the movie itself. I just think I had an issue with like the poster or something. Mm-hmm. I really don't even know. I just I never had any interest in it. I remember the first time I actually had to watch it. Like I was just dismissive of it. Like I just I didn't have any interest. I don't know mm-hmm. if it reminded me of another movie I didn't like or something. Because I used to do that when I was a kid, where if I really didn't I like that. something,
1: anything with like Jason Statham, like I'm out. Yeah, I'm like I'm not gonna yeah.
0: watch that. I, although yeah. I like the Transporter movies, so I can't really talk shit.
1: Yeah, <laughs> it is what I mean, it is. You know, what I'm I mean? Jason Statham. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's all he does the whole movie. I
0: know, but I love it. Sometimes, at least, anyways. I was so disappointed in War. War? Yeah, it's him and Jet Li.
1: I don't remember that
0: one. Jet Li was badass in my mind, and he was like the new Jackie Chan and Jason Statham was this other badass fighter and the plot's just about them going at each other and the movie fucking blew. So,
1: yeah, there's that, that's, you know? that's disappointing when you get stuff like that. that I thought the that, Expendables, that was, I was I
0: was like, so, I was so disappointed yeah, when I saw like, oh, that all movie. all these
1: guys, I love these guys. I was like, no. Yeah, I know. They
0: just, I, I was, some weird people in the team too and they were also the best people every time. Yeah. Like, Terry Crews is more entertaining than almost anybody in that movie yet, He's not an action hero that you would want to be in that team. No, uh, I, I Antonio too, Banderas in the last one.
1: I didn't even see the last okay,
0: one. Okay, so that's horrible, but no. I did. I watched all three of them for some reason. And uh, I didn't like any of them, but I kept Harrison going.
1: Harrison Ford in the last one?
0: I, I think so, yeah. There's There's a lot of, like... People dropping in and out, kind of. Yeah. Antonio Banderas is entertaining as fucking the last one, and I remember thinking like, why the fuck is Antonio Banderas in this? This is
1: in Desperado.
0: I, whatever. And El Mariachi. I know, but it? that's not the same thing as fucking Rambo.
1: He wasn't in From Dust Till Dawn, was he? No, that was remember. George Clooney. Legend of Zorro. Okay, you want to bring that one up, I guess.
0: <laughs> Puss in Boots.
1: Yeah. El Mariachi is a good movie. Huh. I don't know if I've ever seen that. Ooh, you should watch that one. Seen Once Upon a Time in Mexico. That's a good one. That's all like part the of the same too. trilogy. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. Okay. I've only seen Once Desperado Upon a Time in Mexico.
0: I've seen Desperado too. So yeah. I guess I just haven't seen is that the middle one?
1: I think Omarchi's the
0: first one. Okay, so I guess I haven't seen the first the one. That was before then. he was really big. Ah, that makes
1: sense. I think Desperado's what got him big. He's a
0: beautiful man. He was he was always gonna be a movie star. Yeah. Some people are just built for that. and He was one of them back then.
1: He's blessed with some genes. Yes,
0: he is. Most actors are. So interesting point, but we're gonna end it off there. It's been awesome talking to you about the subject. I love talking about movies, so I'm always happy to. Thank you guys for listening. If you'd like more sidetrack, you can find us, well, basically everywhere now. Do you listen to podcasts on Spotify? We're available on Spotify. Do you listen to podcasts on Google Podcasts? We're available on Google Podcasts. Do you listen to podcasts on Amagaboo? Because we haven't gotten on that one yet, but... Do you listen to podcasts on Amazon Music? We're available on Amazon Music. Audible? We're available on Audible. iHeartRadio? Yeah, you can find us at iHeartRadio. YouTube? Uh, Yeah, we're on the tube. Apple Podcasts? It was written in Steve Jobs' will. Yes, we are available on Apple Podcasts. Probably available on other places, too. I just can't think of them off the top of my head, so... Thank you guys for listening, and look that up. And thank you for listening, and look that up.